Here's something I read on the internet recently. The first modern electronic cigarette was developed in 2003 by a Chinese pharmacist whose father had recently died of smoking-related illness. His company marketed it under the name Ruyan, which translates to like smoke. Three years later, e-cigarettes are in Europe, then the U.S., and soon a new word has entered our lexicon, vaping. What's more, as often happens with new technology, policy has been trying hard to catch up ever since. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 103 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. I'm joined today by Tim Mischling, who does health-related research for us, and who recently wrote a blog about vaping and our struggle to figure it out and determine whether and how it should be regulated. Welcome, Tim. Uh, Let's start with an easy one for the people who don't get out much. Um, What is vaping, anyway, and uh, how does it differ from conventional cigarette smoking? Sure. So if you've seen someone conspicuously puffing into a little device and letting out, you know, breathfuls of vapor, they're probably vaping. Right. Um, And that's pretty (laughs) self-evident. That's where the word comes from, right. Indeed. In the simplest terms, it's this new alternative to smoking that emerged in recent years. Uh, So we have these electronic delivery systems for drugs like nicotine. And as opposed to using combustion, where one sets a cigarette aflame and inhales the smoke, uh, an e-cigarette uses cartridges filled with polyethylene glycol nicotine uh, and some other things. uh, And small amounts of liquid are heated and then released as vapor for the user to inhale. Okay. Um, you, you, uh, You didn't mention the flavoring that some of these um, vapor... I think they're, are they cartridges, capsules, something like this? Cartridges, I think. Yeah, you can, you can stick into your vaping device. Um, actually are flavored. Um, I've seen some that have almost candy flavors and, you know, there's some that are more conventional. Mint, cotton candy, bubble gum. Exactly. It's almost like this is aimed at younger people, but we're going to get to this in a second. Um, is this is vaping, as far as we know, as dangerous as cigarette smoking? Um, the short answer to that is no, uh, at least probably not. But there are a few caveats that come with that answer. 
so we know that smoking uh, cigarettes remains the leading cause of preventable death. It increases your risk of developing a wide range of health problems, most notably heart disease, cancer, stroke, as well as diabetes, and an in- a decrease in your overall health and your immune function. So sure. saying something isn't is less dangerous than smoking really isn't saying much about it because, <laughs> you know, in the long term, smoking is pretty darn dangerous. Exactly. Um, vaping uh, does expose the user to some potentially harmful substances. Um, and there are a wide range of estimates of, you know, comparing vaping to smoking a cigarette, how harmful that might be. So some say it's a 5%. Of, of the harm or the the toxins that sure. you're inhaling that can range up to a third or more as harmful. It's really difficult to estimate something like that because it's going to vary by the device. It's going to vary by the exact contents of the cartridge and those things aren't standardized. It's also going to be affected by a person's individual puffing behavior, I guess you would call, call it on the, on the vaping device. So it's really difficult to estimate, to make an estimate. And, and because these, Devices have only really been on the market over the last 10 years in roughly. the U.S. when you're looking at use, roughly. Um, it's difficult for us to say for certain what the long-term health effects of vaping might be. Uh, so there's some early scientific evidence. We can you know, look at hypotheses based on known biomarkers that you see related to cigarette smoke and see if those are appearing in people when they're vaping. We also have animal studies. Um, it's a little less ethical to lock someone in a room and force them to vape all day and see what happens. <laughs> so we have to rely on sure. you know, some observational studies and other, other scientific methods of, yeah, we of don't inquiry. Have, we don't have people who have been, va- who have been uh, vaping for... Um, you know, their lifetimes the way we have lifelong cigarette smokers. Yeah. Yeah. And so that type of epidemiological evidence that we got with cigarette smoking hasn't emerged with vaping yet. So a lot of, a a lot of what we're doing is just guessing based on, on the scientific evidence that we do have. And with that evidence, there's, you know, some cause for concern regarding cancer, cardiovascular health, uh, as well as immune function, Um, And there's also anecdotal evidence we're hearing from health providers about things like oral lesions and popcorn lung that's connected to vaping. But nicotine is a poison, isn't it? And that's what people are vaping, correct? Yep. So, yeah, then there's the nicotine. This is the primary psychoactive substance in conventional and electronic cigarettes. And that's usually the primary reason that someone is taking up vaping. Um, So... Nicotine uh, is certainly poisonous and harmful to a human fetus. Um, it's also highly addictive. And for children and adolescents, exposure to nicotine can cause permanent changes in developing brains. So that's certainly a cause for concern. And even in terms of adults, uh, inhaling nicotine is independently associated with harm, such as cardiovascular health risk. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> those of us who lived through the early publicity of um, the anti-smoking campaigns remember the phrase tar and nicotine. Now, I would imagine that vaping takes the tar out of it because tar, I think, comes directly from burning tobacco. But the nicotine itself is still there. And so, and nicotine is a poison. 
poison and we you know combined with all the other stuff that's in um the vapor that we're inhaling i think like heavy metals and other sure causes. i mean it's it's probably pretty safe to say that it's it's not a health it, it's not as healthy as yoga so <laughs> not in the least okay all right everybody i know who who vapes regularly um has a complicated relationship with tobacco um, in fact, almost all of them are smokers who are either trying to cut down, uh, trying to quit, or just get away with um, taking a few hits of uh, their poison of choice without having to go outside in the cold, which almost everybody has to do now if they smoke in an office or a restaurant or even a bar these days. So if, you know, what is, talk a little bit about how vaping seems to be fitting into um this uh, into into smoking as a as a habit yeah so if vaping completely supplanted smoking and you had an adult smoker who just went over and started vaping instead that would be a harm reduction Um, so there's some net benefit to that it's not completely harmless but it's probably less harmful than smoking especially in that case where someone is completely giving up cigarette use and going to vaping sure even better would be giving up all tobacco products and you know using the transdermal patches or gum going through cognitive right. behavioral therapy and eventually stopping use of nicotine okay um but what we're seeing is that a lot of people become what are called dual users. So they're vaping and that may replace some cigarette smoking, but they're still smoking cigarettes or even in some cases they're smoking the same amount, but then they're vaping in between cigarettes because it's a convenient thing to pull out. And in that case, it's not necessarily uh, providing much health benefit for those individuals. We're also seeing some adult non-smokers that are taking up vaping because they have the perception that it's harmless and that this might be an easy way to to get a a pick-me-up or something that makes them feel good. Hmm. Yeah. It's um, depending on the device you use. um, I've seen, I've seen uh, vaping devices where people exhale these, these almost cinematic clouds of vapor. I mean, it's 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 like something you would you would see in a movie, and then some where there's hardly any. And I would imagine that if you're a smoker and you are really jonesing for um, for a cigarette, but you can't get away for whatever reason, or you don't want to go outside, um, you can pop into the bathroom with one of these you know latter day devices and just kind of take a couple of hits, and and it's not going to it's not going to bother your your office mates. Or yeah, like somewhere so they they can be fairly conspicuous or inconspicuous. Excuse me. Um. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Um, I'm also told uh, by reliable sources who work in schools that um, vaping is popular with teenagers and becoming more so. Um, Is this cause for concern, do you think? I think this is a major cause for concern. So for teenagers in particular, the explosive popularity of these devices now constitutes what the Surgeon General has characterized as an epidemic. Hmm. In just a handful of years, we went from, you know, a fringe of a few instances of youth, you know, using vaping devices to a national prevalence that's now more than one in five high schoolers who are vaping and a disturbingly high number of middle schoolers are doing that as well. Wow. Okay. The increase in vaping has erased progress we made toward eliminating youth tobacco use. And last year, 27% of high schoolers were current users of tobacco products, with electronic nicotine delivery systems like e-cigarettes being the most popular. 
Nicotine has more significant and durable damaging effects on adolescent brains compared to adult brains with adolescents suffering much more harmful effects. Nicotine also appears to affect things like cognition, attention, and impulse control. Which are all things that most teenagers need to do better at. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely moving in the wrong direction. (laughs) Okay. Um, And, well, let's get back to that figure in a second. Um, how are we reacting to um, this particular, uh, the spread of this particular habit policy-wise? Well, like we said earlier, vaping emerged pretty quickly and spread quickly. So it, it took off in China first and then Europe and the United States shortly thereafter. And so we like to think that policy should follow evidence. And when something new happens, we don't always have that evidence. And so True. Uh, the federal government took some time getting a handle on this. Uh, the FDA has assumed authority over all forms of tobacco, and that's included vaping. Uh, and so e-cigarettes are still under study, but there are now some federal guidelines. And in the meantime, states also began addressing vaping, but in a patchwork sort of way that we see when states are used as the laboratories of democracy. So there's no really consistent uh, approach across all states, except that states are generally banning uh, youth use and access to vaping device okay. devices. Um, uh, Michigan, however, remains the only state with no rules or regulations whatsoever on e-cigarettes. So we stand alone. We're an outlier, huh? Yeah. Once again, the, Once. the last horse crosses the finish line. Okay. Um, you quoted a bunch of data in your blog, uh, your recent blog on this, um, and a couple of them, a couple of facts in this jumped out at me. One is that teens who vape are more likely to take up smoking later, which I guess isn't really that much of a surprise. I mean, once you kind of habituate yourself to putting a device in your mouth and, and sucking on it, it's probably going to be a natural step for you to, to move on to cigarettes. Um, but that 27% figure that you just cited um, really jumped out at me because I, th- I think you said 27% of high school students are using nicotine in some form. So you have like the... Um, you know, the, the smokeless tobacco, you have smoking, and then you have vaping, right? Yeah, as well as hookah and some other... Okay, 27%. That's like, you know, more than a quarter. Um, I looked up the figures for adult use of tobacco, and it's just under 20%. So, you know, after we've... And it's taken years and years and years of whittling away at adult smoking to get it to that 19.3% figure, I think is what the what I read. Um, so assuming that vaping continues to be as popular as it is and that kids may well end up graduating with cigarettes, we could actually see that number go up, which is, that's really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very depressing. Like you said, it's a disturbing possibility. Uh, and it's one that's looking more and more likely in reality. So the way we whittled down that smoking number, part of that is providing new ways to quit smoking. And I think there was a lot of hope that vaping could fit into that. And in Mm -hmm. some context, it certainly still could. And people, people feel that way. It's still under study, whether this is, uh, you know, a 
viable strategy for smoking cessation or harm reduction. Uh, but at the same time, the other thing that we did was stop kids from smoking. Uh, from we, starting. From starting in the first place. So right. the, the best way to, to reduce a problem is to prevent it from happening in the first place. And what we're seeing is that early initiation of use uh, will increase the severity of subsequent addiction. So when you're using nicotine as an adolescent and your brain is still in development, um, that is going to increase the likelihood of the subsequent addiction. And in the case of nicotine, it's you're going to get addicted to nicotine if you're using it. But it also increases that severity. Um, it's because of neurological effects and reward-seeking behavior. So there's also a strong argument that adolescent nicotine use will affect the use of other uh, dependence-forming substances in future addiction. Um, wow. It also appears that, like you said, vaping increases the risk of youth moving on to smoking combustible tobacco. So they're right. not only vaping, but then saying, hey, this is great. Let's try those cigarettes as well. Um, mm -hmm. And some studies are showing an increased risk uh, of vaping other substances, namely right. cannabis, uh, after youth initiate vaping nicotine. So it, it's also worth considering that the majority of teen smokers who are still using traditional cigarettes also vape. So we're seeing that dual use behavior really early on as well. Hmm, okay. Um, the other thing that I noticed um, in your blog is that uh, once again, the only thing that really motivates kids to either quit a bad behavior or not take it up in the first place is price pressure. And I have heard this from friends of mine who are activists in um, the anti-smoking um, movement. Uh, basically, if you want kids not to smoke, make kid cigarettes expensive and hard to get. So, you know, I guess my question would be, don't these damn kids ever listen to their elders? <laughs> well, we all know about these damn kids and they never listen. Um, but the evidence uh, that we can listen to uh, is evidence that definitely suggests that kids are more price sensitive than adults. Sure. So taxation is definitely a strategy to reduce use of a substance. Uh, the counter argument, I think, to that is that if you're taxing them, it may make them less appealing to people who are trying to quit smoking. Um, right. So that that can continue to be debated, um, but the kids are less price or, or more price sensitive. So that's a great strategy. I would also say that the public health marketing push that transformed smoking from being something that was really cool, all the cool kids are doing it, uh -huh. to being a really kind of gross, disgusting habit. Your clothes are smelly, your teeth are yellow. Right. That transformation in the way that tobacco was perceived had a big impact on youth smoking. But kids love technology. They don't love listening to their elders, but they love shiny new things. Um, and so these new vaping devices don't have the same anti-tobacco sentiment attached to them. They're these, you know, slick new things that look like a USB that you can fit in your pocket. And so finding a way to transfer the anti-tobacco sentiment we had regarding cigarettes over to new devices is another important thing to consider. And taxes are 
the source of most public health strategies like health education and and public health campaigns. So right. I think those two things are tied together. Yeah. And I, I and getting back to what I said earlier about the different flavors these things come in, um, I can't help but think about um, a few years ago when I was writing about college drinking and going into a liquor store near a college campus and seeing like all of the flavored vodkas, you know, and the, it was almost like, gee, it was almost like they were trying to get people who really didn't want to drink this stuff to, to give it a try because it doesn't, it doesn't taste like, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, make you wince or, or want to spit it out. It's, it's got flavor to it. It's got, it's bubble gum, it's cotton candy, it's all this other stuff. I think that's what's going on here too. Yeah. There were a couple of fine scotch connoisseurs at Michigan <laughs> when I was a student there, but they were in the minority by oh, far. Yeah. yeah, definitely. They're, they're old before their time. (laughs) Okay. So any final thoughts? Yeah. One thing you said uh, is that access is another big thing. And so legality uh, predicts access, use, and public opinion. And therefore, banning youth vaping is probably a good start. And that's probably at the very least the first thing that needs to be done. Most people, I think, can agree on that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Tim. Uh, this was an enlightening, if a little uh, depressing conversation, but um, information is power. So <laughs> It certainly is. Okay. Thanks. And that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit through the support of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmish at crcmish.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>